I'll just do a brief intro and then just get right in, but it's going to all cool. come together. And did I tell you how to pronounce my last name? Uh, I think I heard it on your audiobook, Volpe. Oh, yes. Very good. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I, I did notice that uh, in the book. I was like, hey, I got to make sure to pronounce that correctly. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to The Gay Pro, where we empower gay business professionals from any industry to love who they are and love what they do. I'm your host, Omar Alexis Ochoa. Let's get into it. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Rob Volpe, an empathy expert drawing on his many years of experience in market research to establish the five steps to building empathy. Rob is going to talk to us today about how we can be intentional about building empathy with others, both in the workplace and the queer community. We will discuss his book, Tell Me More About That, which was released earlier this year and outlines his five steps framework. But before diving into today's topics, let me give you a brief introduction to Rob. Rob Volpe is the CEO of Ignite360, a market research firm focused on insights, strategy, and creative storytelling. He has worked with the world's leading brands across a range of industries to better understand their customers' families, relationships, and needs. Rob is also the author of Tell Me More About That, Solving the Empathy Crisis One Conversation at a Time, in which he recounts his experiences in the field. He uses these stories to illustrate his five steps to empathy and teaches you about how you can build your empathy muscle. Rob is an expert in empathy and has contributed to Entrepreneur's Leadership Network and has spoken frequently on empathy at business conferences. He currently lives in San Francisco with his husband and their three cats. Rob, thank you so much for joining me today. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, definitely. I am really glad that we're able to just sit down and chat. I'm really excited to jump into today's topic on just building empathy, specifically empathy in the workplace and in our queer communities. I know that you have published a book. Tell me more about that, Solving the Empathy Crisis, One Conversation at a Time. Um, So I just want to jump right into that. I've been listening to it on Audible, and I want to dig into the title, the, The Empathy Crisis. Yeah. What do you consider to be this empathy crisis? Is it in our society? Is it in certain industries? And what demonstrates to you that there's an, a crisis of empathy? Yeah, great question. Um, and there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that we all probably see in our, our day-to-day life and the way that we're interacting with others, um, mm-hmm. you know, from within our, our community, which could be the, the queer community or the neighborhood that we live in or, you know, our workplace or just society in general. When you think about the polarization that we we're going through on so many different issues uh, and mm-hmm. that inability. So, so you see it anecdotally, but then there is actually some evidence of the decline of empathy that people have. Um, and there's two, two studies that I'll cite. The first yeah. is from uh, 2010 and the University of Michigan did a meta-analysis of campus life surveys from 19, they looked at 76 universities mm-hmm. from 1979 through 2009. 
And what they found, they looked at the question, uh, are you able to easily see the point of view of your classmates? And they found a 40% decline in people's ability to agree with that answer from 1979 through 2001. And then the last eight years of the study, it didn't it didn't rebound, but it also didn't get any worse. So what that meant was, you know, compared to, to student college students in 1979, students in 2001 were 40% less likely to have empathy or, or, or as much of an empathy muscle as other people. And then, um, and so that was really alarming to me when I first heard about that study years ago. And then uh, in my work as at a research firm, Ignite360, we asked that same question, but of American adults. And I was really surprised because we found that one third of uh, Americans are unable to easily agree with that, like agree with that statement that they can easily see the point of view of other people, which was so just uh, disheartening, surprising. Um, because just think about that one third of the people that you are going to interact with today are not going to be able to easily see your point of view and understand where you're coming from. And if that doesn't make it a crisis, then I don't, I don't know what, what does. Yeah, very well said. I wasn't aware of any of the ongoing research in the space uh, on empathy specifically. So I think this makes a ton of sense. We'll definitely have to dig into the studies that you had cited. But you mentioned that you were able to conduct your own study with the research firms that you were working with. What other questions did you all get at? Was it focused specifically on empathy or was it uh, just one part of a larger a larger study. Yeah, so we've been doing a larger study that started in April 2020. There was a little pandemic that was getting going back then. In the moment, it was like, oh gosh, this is going to change, you know, the way people are shopping and everyone thought it was going to last for 3 months and that would be it. And what, what what's happened over time, we've kept the study going and, you know, we really now are looking at an understanding changing um, values and behaviors among American adults um, through the the lens of current events, the pandemic, the presidential election, George Floyd's murder, January 6th, multiple waves of COVID, and now into inflation and you know supply chain disruption, you know, war in the Ukraine, all, all the things that are going on. And so within that, we've done some digging into empathy itself. We started to look at, okay, well, who actually has challenges with getting to a place of empathy, what gets in people's mm-hmm. way? Are there differences in, you know, all the different demographic ways you could look at data from age to uh, gender to ethnicity? You know, are, are people more challenged with dismantling their judgment when they're younger or older? Or does education level make a difference? Does age make a difference? Um, you know, who has more issues knowing what questions to ask or how to actually listen. A lot of different different things like that. Individuals that are older do have a challenge dismantling their judgment, as do people that are more highly educated. Um, and I think that's partly because when you go through you know, so much education, you're, you're trained to kind of have an opinion and a perspective and, um, and defend that. People that are younger tend to have questions about what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. And men, um, and this was like kind of the, oh God, guys, really, um, men indicated they had more issues with listening than, uh, than women. Um, and that's the old stereotype of, you know, 
guys don't listen. <laughs> wow, this sounds like very in-depth and interesting research that I'll definitely have to um, dig into a bit more. And hopefully, as I complete the remainder of your audiobook, we'll learn a bit more about. As I've dug into your book, tell me more about that. I've seen the beginning sections really focus on a specific event in your life and how that event has informed your knowledge of empathy. It starts first with your childhood, showing you the pain caused by a lack of empathy, at least from uh, what I've gathered. And then later it delves into your work and how it helped you pinpoint different weaknesses in your empathy um, and how you could strengthen mm -hmm. it. So were there any experiences you left out that looking back you now wish you included in the book? Ooh, um, I, I, <laughs> there, yeah, there are some stories that we had to leave on the cutting room floor. I, I grew up in small town, Indiana. I was going into fifth grade and I knew I was different. This is back in 1980. The kids also, my classmates picked up on the fact that I was different and they started to tease me and decided to start telling everybody I was gay. So yeah, that, that became difficult. And empathy actually became my, my survival skill. I, I used it to help navigate the hallways, um, not as much in fifth and sixth grade, but as I got into high school and junior high, I used empathy to understand my classmates and connect with them because I would listen to them. I would hear their stories and you know, I vividly remember, and this isn't in the book, um, I don't believe, but I, there was one woman, one student classmate, and we came in, it was like a Tuesday and I was like, oh, hey, what would you do last night? She was sitting right behind me and she proceeds to tell me how she drunk like a fifth of Everclear, which is effectively <laughs> grain alcohol which I didn't know what that wow. was. So I had to ask and she explained it. She had drunk a fifth of Everclear that night and wow, yeah, it was so good. And I was like, you know, and, and, and I just asked her questions about it. I didn't judge her or anything like that. And she, you know, we didn't become friends, but I think I became less other to her, less threatening maybe. And so my rationale was, well, if the next rumor, when the next rumor gets started or somebody wants to beat mm -hmm. me up or whatever, not as many people are going to gang up on me yeah. because they're going to know, oh, Rob's a good guy. He's, he's like, leave him alone, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it would take the, the bite out of the, the rumor mill. Wow. Um, you know, and it's really sad. Like I, I was spending so much time thinking about these things when I was growing up um, because it was, I was trying to learn how to survive. Yeah, that sounds like a very interesting defense mechanism to have developed at such a young age, effectively turning to empathy as a tool for not only understanding other people, but also sort of befriending and bringing people to your side and essentially kind of using it uh, as a tool to protect yourself. With that said, do you view empathy as a practice? Is it something that you can get better or worse at? And if so, what can you do to strengthen uh, your ability to empathize and simultaneously what what exercises or things might compromise it? Yes, it's something that we're all born with. And, and the neuroscientists have found the parts of our brain that light up when we're experiencing. And there, there's two different types of empathy, actually. There's emotional empathy, which is feeling the feelings of somebody else. And then there's cognitive empathy. And cognitive empathy is understanding the point of view of someone else. So where are they coming from? And it was cognitive empathy that I was um, expressing with that that girl in high school who drunk the fifth of Everclear. 
I was able to understand her point of view and that she had done something and she enjoyed it and you know, taught, told me about the experience and I listened to her. We're born with the ability to do all of that, but it's also like when we were born, we had you know muscles in our legs, but they weren't strong enough for us to enable us to stand, walk, or run. And we had to be given opportunities for the, the muscles in our legs to strengthen up in order to support us. And empathy is very similar to that, where we have to be um, create opportunities and situations and make the conscious choice to be empathetic and to dismantle our judgment and to do all the things to um, actually get to a place of empathy. And the more that you practice it, the better that you get at it and the stronger the muscle becomes. Yeah. So what particular exercises do you think can help someone strengthen their empathy? Is it just through conversation? Uh, is there a way to be intentional about building your empathy or your ability to empathize with someone else? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first the first thing people um, benefit from is by just bringing self-awareness uh, to and mindfulness to how they're showing up and, mm -hmm. and how they're actually engaging. So thinking about, you know, when you're having an interaction with somebody, um, the way that you're, you're speaking back to them, you know, is that the way that you'd want to be spoken to? Um, you know, and, and, and are you being judgmental towards them? And if you are like hitting the pause button and thinking to yourself, like, well, where's this coming from? Why am I being this way? Another great one. Uh, the second step is asking good questions. And that's all about asking questions that are very open. If you want to understand someone's behavior or how they're thinking or feeling, you need to ask an open, exploratory, broad question. You don't ask somebody, why were you late? Um, because that's going to put them on the defensive. And it has from the time that we were a kid and we you know, drew on the wall or cut our sister's hair or mom caught us in the closet in her clothes or whatever was going on we would get these really accusatory questions and it would put us on the defensive and we would be quickly figuring out how to get ourselves out of being in trouble. So you're giving a rationalized answer that's going to mitigate uh, potential punishment. And that continues to carry with us through school, through life. You know, why are you late for work? Why are you late with this report? Why, 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 why? And so instead, the challenge there, the exercise is to ask why, but use a different word. Reframe the question using who, what, where, when, and how, and ask the question a little differently. And you'll be really surprised at the answers that you get. They're going to be much more genuine. They're going to be much more open. The person you're speaking with isn't going to feel threatened. So that's another good one. That's a good one to do with a friend or colleagues at work. I've, I've had um, teams, client teams, make that one of their exercises um, and have a little fun with it. Instead of a swear jar, you've got a why jar. Mm -hmm. When you say it, you put a buck in. That's definitely, could definitely be something that one of your client teams can internalize, kind of take home with them after those sorts of sessions. How can I reframe this in a way that allow someone the space and the grace to actually tell us a bit more about, you know, their thought process and their situation and uh, allows us to find common ground. Two questions branching off of that. So the first one, in this empathy crisis where we find that on average folks are finding it harder and harder to see other people's points of view, 
do you think there are any particular ways that you can start to build in empathy to your uh, communications broadly? Maybe not when you're communicating to one person, but something like social media when you're communicating to an audience or a network of people. Ooh, that's a really great question. And you didn't use the word why too. So good, good job. So yeah, you know, with social media, where you really have an opportunity is as you get into the comments and engage mm-hmm. with people, that's where you can start to show more support and connect on a slightly more personal level. You know, easier said than done, but I think that's one way of doing it. Yeah. And the only reason I bring up social media is just because in a social setting, a lot of platforms seem to really highlight and prioritize divisive content, which is more likely to go viral. How can we build, I guess, more empathetic social media platforms where we aren't washing ourselves of being opinionated and having, you know, original thoughts, but we are still making the conscious effort as a platform to build a network where people have mutual respect and nuance for different thought processes. But what would you say is, I guess, maybe the first step towards building a more empathetic digital social media world? I love this question. And, you know, social media is one of the things that, you know, there are many things that have contributed to the decline in empathy and the empathy crisis, but social media is certainly one of them. And part of it is because the way social media is constructed now, it's all about validation and liking my stuff. And then people will hide in that anonymity. Um, and on some platforms more than others, where um, they feel safe to go out and say disparaging, awful, ugly things. The thing to be mindful of is as you're approaching your social media engagements, don't think of it as you know just some you know, mass or, or digital nothing, but you're actually talking to another person and, and, you know, have somebody in mind when I'm recording content or writing something that I'm going to put out on social media, I usually have mm-hmm. an individual or, or three in mind that I'm communicating with. And so I think that's one way to do that. You can be nice to everybody, I suppose, but then are you really going to have a point of view? Right, And you can still have a point of view. You can still do it, though, with decency. The easy way out is to throw the cheap shot, but to actually put some thought into it and to to frame your argument in a constructive way that might actually engage the other person rather than, you know, it's like we're playing whack-a-mole or something. We're trying to Mm -hmm. shut people up. Well, really what you're wanting to do is engage more people. It's subtle and it's not easy to do, but I think you you can do it, but you've got to do it with intention. Yeah, certainly. So as it relates to intention, one of the questions I have getting back to empathy, specifically in the workplace, it sounds like, you know, empathy is sort of this elusive trait of emotional intelligence that you can't always see. Maybe you can experience it through a conversation with someone but generally, you know, empathy being a core aspect of emotional intelligence, being a pretty highly valued soft skill in the workplace, how do you think that someone like a hiring manager or a team lead or an executive can begin to look for empathy when hiring for a team? Yeah, good question. So I think you're looking for how the candidate is showing up 
uh, in the interview, how they're communicating. You're looking, you know, ask them questions about uh, a situation. You know, how, how have they resolved a problem? Ask them about a time that they persuaded somebody for about something. How did they go about do that? doing that? Get into the mechanics of it. Empathy, cognitive empathy in particular, seeing that point of view of other people mm-hmm. is at the core of all of the skills that we use at work. Um, you know, from communication and decision-making to uh, collaboration and ideation, building trust, forgiveness, empathy is at the key of, to all of that. So if I'm asking somebody, tell me about a time that you persuaded somebody to do something and you listen to the answer and what you're listening for is clues that, okay, they understood the point of view of somebody else. They understood what their need was, the challenge that they were facing and how to, to support them or how to help them resolve that versus just, well, I know the right way to do this and therefore this is what you're going to do. So are they using like, you should and you need to language with somebody or are they saying, hey, have you considered or tell me more about this problem you're having and try this a different way? So it's it's about listening to the answers. You know, old exercise in sales um, where, you know, my dad did this to me. My dad was in sales and we were talking about sales one day. This is when I was in college, maybe. And he picked up the pen. He's like, here, sell me this pen. And I had no idea what to do. But then he started ask. He he took on the sales role and started to ask me questions about how I used the uh, used pens in general. What sort of thickness did I like and weight and what type of writing was I doing? Um, and so he was understanding my needs and having empathy with those needs. And then he was able to convince me why the ballpoint pen that he had in his hand was the perfect pen, using an understanding of of my needs. Um, Rather than just going into, uh, oh, this is the best pen in the world. It's got X, Y, and Z feature and function, and which may not actually align to what my needs are. So you've got to ask. You've got to ask the questions and really listen to the answers. Yeah, definitely. And I think anyone that's been in any kind of interview process can probably be familiar with some of the, I guess, behavioral-oriented questions where... Uh, at least once you get to certain certain roles in a corporate sphere, become less about the technical pieces and more about, you know, tell me about a time that you led a team or did a particular thing or a time that you failed and how you handled it. So these sorts of behavioral questions, I think, become a lot more telling than any piece on a resume or educational aspect, because ultimately building a team is not only about who you'd like to work with, but it's also, you know, folks you'd like to grab a drink with because ultimately you guys are spending time with each other uh, for much longer parts of the day than you are yeah, anywhere else. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, yeah, you can, if, if it's, if you're interviewing for somebody that's earlier on in their career um, and empathy is something, you know, it's interesting in the data, um, people that are younger, you know, kind of college age, when you're in that space in your life, you're still kind of figuring out who you are and it can be harder for you to have empathy with other people um, because you're still trying to identify where you stand and what your point of view is on things. So in those situations, um, 
you know, so if you're interviewing first time candidates and things like that, you can still ask them how they've approached situations, but it may also then be about school or, you know, tell me about a team assignment. And when there was a challenge or problem, you know, interpersonal problem, how did you resolve it? How did you work through it? And you'll hear kind of how they approached or navigated the situation. And again, you're looking for those, um, those clues that, that they have some understanding of empathy. Yeah, definitely. So now switching gears into specifically empathy in the queer community, how do you think approaching empathy can come to life in a queer setting, whether it's a club or a bar or a dating app or just spaces where queer people meet and interact? Uh, how do you think we can be intentional about showing empathy towards others we are incredibly judgmental um, and it's a defense mechanism and it, it, it's that, you know, casting aspersion or, you know, cast, casting shade. Sometimes it's done in good fun and amongst a group of friends and that's okay, but you need to be aware when you're doing it. But then there are other times where we're casting aspersion against one another, whether we're considering somebody for a romantic uh, encounter or entanglement uh, ignoring people. There's just tons of judgment that's coming out. And it's a defense mechanism because so many of us are carrying our own wounds from our own childhood experiences or other parts of our life. And that's just the natural, like it, it's, it's become a, an instinct for us, mm-hmm. but we're all other. And if you start from that perspective and that sort of foundational base, like we're all other and we're all looking to belong um, and feel included. If you can move from that place in the way that you reach out to somebody, you engage with somebody rather than just shutting them down. It doesn't mean you need to be best friends with everybody, but there's a graceful way to, you know, decline somebody's advances. It's self-awareness. It's making the choice, having the courage to make that choice. It's dismantling the judgment. It's taking a moment to listen to somebody and understanding that, you know, we all have different points of view. Like just because the fact that we're a member of the community doesn't make us all the same. So be curious about other people, ask them questions about themselves. Yeah, I couldn't have put it any better. I think those are all really useful uh, and intentional actions that folks can start to take when interacting with each other, whether it's in the workplace or in the queer community where Sometimes the situations can be a little different, but ultimately it sounds like empathy is really underscored about making the effort to ask questions, understand someone fully and not rush to any sorts of judgments. So um, I'm really excited to read the remainder of your book. Tell me more about that and get a fuller understanding of your five steps to empathy. But um, yeah, before signing off, did want to just give you the opportunity to say, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to share with the audience or anyone listening that you want them to take away ultimately about uh, empathy or anything else we've talked about today? Um, yeah, two two things. One, you know, as as you ponder the the information and the the, the conversation, you know, that you and I have just had. Um, I hope that people realize like you need to, to have grace with yourself um, and you need to forgive yourself. And it's really what's important is that you're trying 
And, you know, you're not going to get it right the first time or the third time, but it's that you try. Um, and sometimes you will get it right. And every situation is a little bit different. And what's important is that you're making that effort and that you're forgiving yourself. So move through that with grace. Um, and I hope people check out the book. I'm really proud of how it turned out. Um, there's some really fun stories that are in the book. It's a very engaging read, I think, I've been told. Um, and it does include my, you know, the, the, the fact that I'm a gay professional is part and parcel of, of my experience. And it does play a role in, in how I view the world, how I move through the world. And um, that journey is is also wrapped up in the journey that's told in the book. Incredible. Well, thank you, Rob, so much for joining me. I will make sure to make all the plugs for your book and see how they can reach you. Uh, but I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for being on. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is Amar Alexis Ochoa, but you can call me Lex. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at OMRLXS and check out our website, thegaypro.com, for more queer content. Oh,